Hello, World Wide Web. Mike Erie here with the first and hopefully a long series of podcasts that we are humbly calling Vox uh, for reasons we'll get into in a moment. Um, I'm in my little home office with Andy Laura, creative engineer extraordinaire. Say hi. Hi. Andy, um, Andy, people may not know was involved in two bands. One sort of heavy metal band named Nightfall, which is awesome. Uh, give me a little little rebel yell there, Andy. No? He's giggling, he's smiling. All right, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll cue you later. Well, I'll, put a, I'll put a sound clip in there. Okay, I'll nice, nice. Something a little striper-esque, maybe. Yes. And then, um, and Andy was involved with uh, Tacoma, which before it was a truck. Dakota. Dakota is what I said. Before it was a truck, which it isn't, it was a band. Now, uh, what we want to do is we want to um, go into just some basic stuff. Obviously, this is super raw, super non-polished, and if you know me, that's kind of the only speed I've got. Um, but we, we want to talk first of all about why doing a podcast, because there are hundreds, if not thousands of podcasts out there, and Lord knows the world does not need another podcast. But one of the things that uh, I've become convinced of over the last maybe five or so years is that Jesus isn't getting uh, fair play in a, how a lot of the cultural debates uh, go in the sense, in the following sense, that that Jesus offends both sides. He offends every side of every debate. He challenges every side of every issue. There's nobody that encounters Jesus and comes away feeling like, oh yeah, he's totally with me. And I, I don't think in our cultural climate, we do justice to the fact that Jesus would come and offer third ways through all of these discussions, like he did so beautifully through the Jewish discussions of his day. And I feel like uh, there's some things to glean from the way Jesus interacted with people that would be super, super helpful in navigating the cultural issues of today. So uh, we want to call it Vox. Uh, which is Latin for voice or speech. And because we believe God has spoken uh, most definitively through this Jesus and the rest is commentary. And so we want to just examine uh, the way in which Jesus walked and the way in which he interacted with people. And uh, although for some this may seem like overly common ground, I don't think uh, there have been, there, there's been justice done to the full weight of what it means to say he's full of grace and truth. Now, Vox, it sounds a little artsy, and I'm not an artsy guy. Um, although Latin names are cool, there were some other names that we had considered for um, the podcast. Baldcast was my wife's choice, which, which is hurtful. Uh, and and we, we thought about calling it the expanding waistline uh, for reasons that I, I can't really get into. Um, Bad Christian uh, is evidently like this really popular podcast. So that, that one was taken. Uh, let the Wookiee win for you Star Wars uh, junkies out there. I thought, I thought that could be that could be good. Uh, I've got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. So I was thinking about the more cowbell podcast. And then my, my daughter, uh, who is a big Taylor Swift fan, said, Dad, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. And um, that that was her offering. So in, in the absence of anything cooler, we're going with Vox, the Mike Erie podcast, which sounds Vox and Mike Erie don't always go together. But today what we want to do 
is um, we want to ease into the, our, our, our topics by talking about gay marriage. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I asked a question um, on, uh, on Facebook and Twitter, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, Andy, and, and just said, hey, what? we're going to start this thing, and it, 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 I'd love it if it were actually helpful. Um, and what are, what are big topics that we should discuss when it comes to church and sexuality and where's the church done things well, where's the church done things poorly? What, uh, sort of issues would you love to hear discussed? And, and overwhelmingly and non-surprisingly, um, everything came back to the LGBTQ conversations that are being had, uh, in culture, certainly, but 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 more specifically within the church, as the church itself starts dividing over this issue, uh, as it's done for you know twenty years or more now, uh, people are very very curious to talk about, to discuss, to listen uh, to different perspectives about how to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, and yet that recognizing the manner of Jesus is a manner of grace and love and so what does all that mean so i want to i i thought we'd ease into this by the non-controversial title he said sarcastically of why gay marriage is good for the church and uh hopefully that that uh that should get us launched into some good stuff now now i don't mean to say that gay marriage is only it's only good for the church and i don't mean to say and, and by gay marriage i mean the supreme court's ruling uh, legalizing gay marriage as the law of the land. And by the church, I don't mean the church universal. Uh, I mean those parts of the church that I'm most familiar with, the, the, the folks that would call themselves evangelical Christians who reacted to the decision with much dismay and fervor uh, and disappointment and anger and sadness and grieving and loss. And because I believe that Jesus challenges uh, everyone on every issue. Um, I thought we'd look at this from maybe a little different perspective, that there are some good things I think that will come out of this uh, that I hope will be helpful to the church uh, as, as, a, uh, as a whole. So I, I wanna give four reasons why I think gay marriage is good for the church. And, and uh, you know, for those of you that are out there that are like, dude, totally, it's total and absolute good news. These these things aren't going to be news to you. Um, but for, for others, and particularly in the tribe that I'm associated with, um, I don't know that we've considered the good news part of this decision very well. So following Jesus... Uh, in his subversive uh, ways of grace and truth, we thought we'd offer this up. So, way number one, uh, the gay marriage is good for the church. And these are just off the top of my head. I'm no big cultural um, analyzer. I'm not super uh, insightful or theoretical or strategic, but... Um, in terms of what this has done in me and in uh, some friendships I've got, uh, I thought we'd offer these up. So number one, um, the gay marriage decision, first of all, forces us to look at our own hypocrisy and double standards uh, against uh, gay and lesbian people. And, and what I mean is, I, I think the, the gay community, uh, the LGBTQ community, is totally right on when they look at the church and they point out the moral hypocrisy of our positions. And, and the one that's most compelling to me is the issue of divorce. So Jesus very clearly speaks to the issue of divorce two times. 
And, and if you count some repeats, it's a little more than that. Paul speaks to it too. And, and they both have, uh, uh, by their, by some um, in their day, a very conservative view when it was okay to get divorced. And obviously there's some debate about, about what sort of divorce is Jesus outlawing and permitting and so on. But, but the point still stands. Jesus addresses divorce specifically. And he calls uh, for anyone that gets a divorce, except for something he calls fornication, which we can talk about what that means. Um, you marry and get married again, you've entered into an adulterous relationship. So Jesus seems pretty clear on that. And when my parents divorced in 1980, I was nine years old, and uh, and divorce wasn't incredibly common. Um, I was in third grade, and I, I remember being one of like the very few kids that had divorced parents. But now, um, it, it seems like that's sort of the common story. And our churches are filled with divorced people, and no one is at the door checking to see if there were inappropriate divorces. Nobody. I mean, I, we just had some guests over. Uh, Monday night and they were great folks and they both had been married before and I didn't spend any time trying to hear if their divorces were okay if they were if Jesus was considering it now adultery we have totally loosened the bonds of uh, on the divorce issue to allow people um, whether they they have committed adultery whether it was an appropriate divorce I mean we don't even check for crying out loud uh, but we just figure listen everyone's in process and um, you're, you can come and God will redeem you. And, 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 and yet when it comes to gay marriage, it's an entirely different attitude. So you could make the argument, well, then we should really clean up on the divorce issue. And, and, and absolutely, we'll get to that argument in a second. But even deeper than that, there's a repenting that has to be done because of our incredible double standards on this thing. While our marriages, Christian marriages, quote unquote, have been filled with abuse and adultery and domestic violence uh, and, and a pornography and all sorts of crud, we have made our stand on gay marriage and we've simply lost the moral platform to do so. It is absolutely incredible. So we've ceased, for some of us, we've ceased treating uh, gay people as image bearers. We've ceased treating them as uh, in process. We, we ask them to play by a completely different set of rules than the way we would treat other, quote, sinners. So people engaging in premarital sex, people engaging extramarital sex, people that are unbelievably greedy. Um, none of those things are getting called at the door. But when it comes uh, to homosexuality and the issues surrounding uh, the gay and lesbian uh, community, you just have a completely different set of rules. So for me, it seems appropriate that one of the gifts of gay marriage is for us to uh, work on keeping our own house clean. And it's so funny. I've had divorced people quote Jesus against gay marriage when Jesus in Matthew 19 is speaking against divorce. So divorced people who may have broken the very verse they're using against gay marriage. I mean, and you can see where the LGBTQ community just looks at that and says, that's just insane. That, that's a completely different set of rules. Now, this raises all sorts of questions we're going to get into over the next several weeks about, okay, well, what's that mean? And how do we do this? And is it okay to, to let folks into our church communities? And I got all that. But just there, there has to be a moment of self-reflection and examination that says, you know what? We have really missed the boat on this 
issue. And, and um, we've not been consistent in our application of the, the standards of conduct in the New Testament. The second uh, piece of good news uh, that I think the gay marriage uh, ruling has for us is it forces us to repent of our sin against uh, gays and lesbians. If we admit that there is a double standard, if it, if we admit that there has been a culture of, of shame and hate and violence that sometimes, sometimes the church has fed into, then we need to apologize. We need to repent. The posture towards the LGBT community shouldn't be one of wagging our fingers, but rather should be one of, of humble supplication and asking of forgiveness. Because it, it's simply impossible as a matter of historical record to say that we've treated gay and lesbian people as Jesus would have treated them. Now, there are beautiful exceptions and many we don't know about. But in general, the general tenor and flavor of the cultural discussions around this are not full of love and grace, not even remotely. And so it's not surprising then when kids in our youth groups and kids uh, in our families who are waking up to sexuality and have all sorts of questions, it's not surprising that they don't really feel comfortable bringing those up to Christians because they've seen how, quote, Christians interact with each other and deal with this issue. And I think there is, I think there is, I think Jesus would call us as a church to humble ourselves and to ask forgiveness. And no one person gets to do this on behalf of the church. I get that. But there is a sense that we can start with whoever it is we're around and, and that, that the, the friends that I have who are in process, some of whom are openly gay and proud of it, some of whom are, are, are undeniably same-sex attracted and yet you know, think that is sinful, that in every breadth uh, of that conversation, there should be an apology uh, that we have not loved people well. And, and, I, and I, I firmly believe, and this sounds so stinking ridiculous, but shouldn't the church be the safest place for the Caitlyn Jenners of the world? Shouldn't the church be the safest place for uh, the, the kid that, that is uh, bisexual or, or the, the kid that's same-sex attracted or, or whatever? I mean, shouldn't the church be the place? And no one, I don't care who you are, can say that the church is the safest place. It's not. It's not. It's ironic that the sinners ran to Jesus but they flee from the church. And the only conclusion I can draw is that we've missed the Jesus part. Not our theology's great, right? We're all about nailing that down, but the practice of our theology, at least in my heart, and I am chief of sinners, brothers and sisters. I'm not up here, up here. I'm just sitting here. I'm not up here. Although I live in Placentia, so maybe I'm up in terms of North Orange County, but I'm not sitting here saying nothing that isn't directly applicable to my own freaking evil heart. Uh, absolutely. I need to apologize. I need to repent of my double standards. No question about it. But there's a sense in which uh, I so burn to see the church be the place where someone could walk in and say, you know what? I am attracted to people of my same gender. And I don't know what to think about that. Could someone just sit and talk with me? And instead of the judgment and making them get cleaned up first, they receive a warm welcome just the way we welcome everybody else. Number three, holy rant. Sorry, I got, I got fired up right there. We're recording this on a Thursday. 
And um, this is all I've got today. I literally, this is all, so all energy is going into this microphone and it's a bit scary. Now, number three, I think it forces us to, uh, as a church, talk again about sexuality. I, I, I think that for some portions of the capital C church, we've not done a good job talking and teaching about sexuality. And so we let culture's voice uh, reign loudest uh, when it comes to forming the opinions uh, of our young folks, of forming the opinions of of teenagers and college students. And so so I, I think there's a sense, I mean, my 10-year-old girl, all right, my sweet Hannah B. Hannah, it, I mean, we've just begun to have like the talk with her. And, and she just says, well, what about gay marriage? <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, she already understands what that is. And, and we're sitting there and we're, and we're going, well, this is great, right? This gives us the opportunity to talk about sexuality again. And I feel like we do such a disservice to, to followers of Jesus who are in their uh, teens and 20s and 30s and 40s by not addressing these issues. Literally, the only thing I got from the wonderful church I attended growing up was something called the biological hand grenade ladder. Yes, it, it sounds, Andy's looking at me like, what is that? It's, it was as awful as it sounds. It was a ladder. All right. So it was on a green piece of paper. I'll never forget it. And it's a ladder. And, and, and up top at the ladder is intercourse. And at the bottom of the ladder is uh, attraction or holding hands or something. And, and, then, and then every rung of the ladder was another step. So you started with you started with uh, hand holding and then hugging and then petting, which I had no freaking idea what petting was. And then just to make it worse, heavy petting. I mean, I would did that did that quench the curiosity of, of a young man? It did not. It did not. It sounded horribly wonderful. And then you got into other things. And so so and the and the and the the, the teaching was the more the higher you went up the ladder and the more you did the more explosive the consequences were right and and i guess that's true as it goes but but that isn't the biblical view of sex i mean not even close to the biblical view of sex i mean my goodness the biblical view of sex the first command the rabbis noted the first command in the bible is be fruitful and multiply and the bible is unbelievably pro-sex we're going to talk a lot about this uh, in future episodes, because there's no thou shalt not. It's just a thou shalt. It's a thou shalt. And I never heard that in the church. Never heard that, that it was good. It was holy. It was beautiful. It was pleasurable. And it was, and, and, and it was okay. Orgasms are okay. Attractions. Okay. Um, uh, being horny. That's okay. Uh, like romance and all of that stuff. That was like God's gift. Never heard any of that. I just heard don't. Don't do petting, which <laughs> it didn't really dissuade me. But so I feel like one of the pieces of good news is uh, it forces us to talk about sexuality. And if we're going to just take shots at an alternative view of sexuality, then we've got to do a damn good job of presenting our own. And we just haven't done that. Lastly, oh, and this one's going to take a couple of podcasts to fully explore. Uh, the first, when I when I first heard the Supreme Court made that announcement, I, I actually thought to myself, and I prayed, I prayed to God, 
and confessed all my double standards. I confessed the ways I haven't been a good husband and uh, to my wife. And, and I, it was a deeply like self-reflective moment. And, and then the second thought I had, I was relieved because I thought, okay, good. We've lost the culture war. Now we can move on to something else. Because I, as a product of the culture war, I tell you the truth, I am so tired of trusting in Supreme Court justices and presidents and political processes and proposition aides and all of those sorts of things uh, to legislate what it is that we think uh, promotes human flourishing best. And, and I, I, I feel like the amount of time and energy and anger and angst and frustration and irritation that is volcanic. And has, if we would have taken that towards making disciples, towards keeping our own house clean, towards working on our own marriages, we would not simply be in the place where we are. Uh, I just read literally today about... Um, 20 minutes ago, an article that was saying that, that one of the main reasons why millennials are leaving the church is because they saw their parents fight the culture wars and decided they no longer wanted to do that. So, so you could argue the culture war not only lost us the culture, but lost us our kids. You could make that argument. And, and I don't know if it's true. I'm not smart enough to know if that's true or not. But I have suspicions. And I personally am sick of the culture war. I'm sick of it. Paul says it so flipping clearly in 1 Corinthians. Who am I to judge those outside the church? I judge those inside. But no, we have political processes and, and, and political action committees. And, and we have entire cottage industries designed on judging people outside. And, and so I've, just, I've learned to live by this very simple rule. I expect Christians to act like Christians, myself most of all, and I expect non-Christians to act like non-Christians. And so I am. I, there was a part of me that was thrilled that we've lost the culture war. Now we can get back to the business of being people of grace and truth, demonstrating and embodying the good news of Jesus. That's what I'm most excited about. That, that yes, following Jesus' political implications, of course, and of course in a democracy, our, our opinion is solicited. No question about it. But there's too much fear, too much anger, too much angst. There's no way Jesus would look at the American church and go, yeah, you've got your priorities right. Not when there are 2,000 verses condemning excessive wealth and maybe only six that talk about homosexuality. So, brothers and sisters, I expect uh, that many will disagree. That is just fine. I am totally okay with that. The goal, listen, always, the goal is never to convince you to think like me. The goal is to provoke thought and for you to wrestle with the text, to read the Gospels of Jesus and consider how Jesus interacted with everybody. Next week, I think we're going to talk about table fellowship and uh, how unbelievably subversive that practice was that Jesus would eat meals with sinners. And, and that, that Jesus himself provoked the, well, if you're eating with them, you're approving of them argument. And he ate with them anyway. I love that. So uh, if you want to interact on Twitter, I am on Twitter at Mike Erie, E-R-R-E. If you want to interact on Facebook, I have a um, personal page that is uh, almost full. And then I have a public profile page and all of those are extremely embarrassing things. Uh, because really, I, if, if I could just 
use the sound of my voice only and not have people distracted by the handsomeness, I would make that I would make that choice in a, in a heartbeat. Andy's laughing. I'm not sure why. Andy, can you give me something <laughs> from Tacoma? What was it called? Uh, Dakota. Dakota. Dang it. Yeah. Give me, just give me, give me something. Yeah, I'll pop it in right here. Holy cow. Holy cow is all I have to say. All right, brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.